1: Visiting a national park? Let Chimani guide you. Chamani.com.
2: Good morning. Welcome to our show number 580. Happy Father's Day to all the dads in our Talking Birds audience. Last week when our friend and international tour guide David Clapp was with us on the show, we talked about the fact that one of the many reasons people love to look at birds is that you can see them almost anywhere you go. And find species that you may not find at home almost anywhere you go. And that includes cities, even big cities, really big cities. And guess where a birding is becoming a big thing? Here's a hint. That's a song called Beijing, about the huge Chinese city, population 21 million. Well, there's a story in the Los Angeles Times headlined, despite the smog, birdwatching in Beijing takes flight. The Beijing Birdwatching Society now has about 500 members with a hundred more signing on every year. Apparently few bird species besides sparrows and magpies live within the smog-choked city center. But just a short car ride away, apparently lots of bird species to see, even as they face challenges in addition to air pollution, like overdevelopment, trapping, filling in of mud flats and wetlands, water pollution, that's the biggest one, and the pet trade. So it may be slow, but some progress there toward environmental awareness is being made in China, and bird watchers are helping to lead the way. Meanwhile, there's a bird that may have originated in China or possibly India and Sri Lanka that arrived in the southern U.S. not many years ago via the Bahamas where it spread to Florida and which now occurs over much of North America. At least until recently, that has not included the northeast, but a birder right here in New England thinks he saw one in his Medfield, Massachusetts backyard last week. Josh Bach posted this on the MassBird forum: Possible Eurasian Collared Dove in yard. Subject observed at our home feeder in dimming light in Medfield around 7:15 this evening. It was a couple of days ago. Josh included some photos that I think may require some expert examination. It's only a possible sighting. We'll stay tuned, and we invite Talking Birds listeners to stay tuned when we revisit the Eurasian collared dove in this morning's featured Feathered friend segment. Question, do adult birds talk to non-adult birds when those non-adult birds are still in the shell? We're about to find out as we check in with our own Debbie Bleacher in the Talking Birds Science Corner. Come up to the lab and see what's on the slab. So Debbie, you blogged at talkin'birds.com last week about Adult birds communicating with hatchlings using baby talk. And now you're telling us that mothers in a couple of species of birds are singing to their chicks before the chicks hatch. And that the unborn chicks apparently learn the call and song. Is that the claim?
3: That is indeed the claim, Ray. Researchers in Australia working with two species of fairy wrens happened to notice that the mothers were calling to their eggs before the chicks even hatched. Then they discovered that the unhatched chicks actually seemed to be paying attention. Their heart rates were lowering the way they do in other animals when they pay attention.
2: And in terms of other animals, we could talk about humans because I think there's research that says uh, that human babies can actually learn speech still in the womb, right?
3: Uh, yeah. Recent research has shown that uh, we can learn speech sounds at 30 weeks of gestation.
2: Wow. Yeah. At what point do they they start this? Do they do this right away? Do they do it, you know, after sitting on the egg for a while or what?
3: The mothers start calling to the unhatched chicks soon after they finish laying and then they call all the way through incubation and then stop after, several days after the eggs hatch. Hmm. What's interesting is that later on, when the hatched chicks beg for for food, they make some of the same sounds that they heard in the egg.
2: So I guess the question is then, did the chicks really learn these calls and songs from their mother, or do they make these sounds by instinct? Were they able to figure out if this was really happening the way it seemed?
3: Yeah. What the researchers did was that they would take eggs out of a nest right after they'd been laid, and then put them in another female's nest. So this new female would sing to the chicks. When the chicks hatched, their calls sounded more like the calls of their foster mother than like the calls of the mother who laid them.
2: So that indicates the birds in the eggs really learned them from the adults. It wasn't just instinct uh, mirroring the adult calls.
3: Yeah, they were listening through the shell.
2: Sounds like more evidence for the importance of early childhood education.
3: (laughs) Yeah, you said it. Thanks, Debbie. My pleasure.
2: By the way, uh, Debbie is blogging about that story. You can find that uh, blog uh, a little later today uh, on our Talking Birds website, talkingbirds.com. Still to come on our show today, a living legend birder, accompanied by his adult son, mounted his bicycle in Virginia, hard by the Atlantic Ocean, and headed west. Destination, western Oregon, on the shores of the Pacific. And all along the way, he listened to birds as maybe only he can. He is Don Kruzma, considered by many to be the world's leading bird song expert, and he'll be with us live on today's Talking Birds program. Meanwhile, is your suet getting soupy? Regular suet, as you probably know, tends to melt when the weather gets warm. What to do? Well, let's ask Mike. That's what we'll do, and that's the name of the segment of the show that features Birdwatcher's general store founder and proprietor, Mike O'Connor. As always, our mystery bird contest will give you a chance to win a fabulous feeder from Droll Yankees, makers of the world's best bird feeders, plus a bonus prize of a 12-ounce bag of our favorite coffee. That would be birds and beans, bird-friendly, shade-grown coffee. And coming along here in just a moment, we'll revisit that Eurasian bird that's making itself at home here in the U.S. It's today's Talkin' Birds featured feathered friend. Talkin' Birds is made possible in part by Celestron. A leading optics company offering binoculars and spotting scopes for birders of all levels. Celestron is dedicated to education and bird conservation and proudly supports many nonprofit organizations that share the same commitment. Celestron says, We care about birds and nature in our backyard as well as yours. Enhance your view with Celestron. Visit celestron.com and discover more.
4: His cry goes out through
2: the hills. Well, this old dove is just not as lonesome as it used to be. It's the Eurasian collared dove, and it's spreading rapidly across North America after making a similar expansion throughout Europe in the early 20th century. It's believed to have originated in and around India, then spread into Turkey and in the Balkans way back in the 1600s. Then it was introduced into the Bahamas in the mid-1970s and is now established throughout the southeastern United States. The Cornell Lab of Ornithology calls this bird's spread across North America an evolving story and says the extent of its final range and the impact it will have on other bird species remains to be seen. Here's a description of the Eurasian collared dove. It's similar in size and shape to the familiar morning dove, and has a sandy gray body and head with a narrow black half-collar on the back of its neck with the head and neck showing a pinkish tint. It has a black bill, deep red eyes, and red legs and feet. Now, if you're here in Massachusetts, you may be looking forward to the possible establishment of this dove in our fair Commonwealth, but see if you still feel that way after you hear its more than slightly monotonous song. The Eurasian Collared Dove. Today's Talkin' Birds featured Feathered Friend. Thanks again for being with us. Our show number 580. Hope you'll visit our TalkinBirds.com website. Find those blogs and lots more. And follow us on Facebook and on Twitter at TalkinBirds. We're about to talk to a man who knows a little something about bird song. Don kruzma Professor Emeritus of Ornithology, UMass Amherst a world-renowned authority on birdsong. He's the author of The Singing Life of Birds, The Backyard Birdsong Guides, and Birdsong by the Seasons, and a wonderful new book called Listening to a Continent Sing, Birdsong by Bicycle from the Atlantic to the Pacific. And he joins us now on the phone. Good morning, Don. Hey, good morning, Ray. Great to have you back again uh, with us, Don. And I I know we haven't called you too early (laughs) (laughs) Too early. Uh, You've been up uh, since, what, 4 o'clock recording yellow warblers out there, am I right?
0: I think it was 2-something when the alarm went off and I had to get in position and then chase down those yellow warblers and then go pick up the microphones that were recording under the full moon all night trying to catch oven birds in flight song
2: overnight. How'd that work out?
0: They didn't sing. (laughs) They didn't? You know, this is one of the things you learn. I don't think they like full <laughs> moons. Maybe they like new moons. Mm-hmm. So I got to go out in two weeks and hope it's not the end of the season. And mm-hmm. you know, you never know. These birds, uh, these birds know better what they're up to than we do. Certainly,
2: I guess you never know is a, is a, a key phrase there. Well, Don, it's kind of appropriate we're talking to you on Father's Day because this amazing bicycle trip that you took was accompanied by your son David. A lot of us are uh, maybe intimidated driving a car across the country, and uh, you guys did it by bicycle. What an amazing trip. And early in your book, Don, you talk about, at that time, your 35 years of studying birds, and you call this the grand payoff. How so?
0: <laughs> oh, the grand <laughs> payoff. I I felt like I'd been working literally and figuratively on my knees all my life, mm-hmm. and and i just needed a break and so <laughs> i knew how to listen to birds i'd listened to them in oregon in graduate school and on the east and i thought wow what a wonderful gift to hear this continent all the way across and and kansas was a lot of people can't imagine bicycling across kansas but it's a <laughs> grand transition from east to west and mm. it was just a glorious trip right
2: Well, you say east to west, too, and uh, most people would probably go west to east, in part at least because of prevailing winds kind of pushing you along, but you weren't going to have that.
0: No, we wanted the wind in our face, Ray. Going to make it tough. (laughs) 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 No, anybody who knows birds uh, knows that uh, Virginia and Kentucky during May, it's the greatest show on earth. And if you wait to go west to east, you have to wait until the mountain passes out west are clear of snow, Hmm. That puts you in Kentucky and Virginia in July and August,
2: and man, the birds ain't singing no more. All right. There was certainly some logic to that, obviously. Yes, good logic. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Don, for the reader, reading this book, what a great learning experience it is. And you have these QR codes all the way through the book so we can hear the birds and also some of the people, the interesting people you met uh, along the way. And hear those birds in context uh it's there's something really special about that and also these are long recordings that you have in here it's so different than listening maybe to a cd that you know you're trying to learn bird songs this really puts you out there
0: yeah that was the goal ray these qr codes i waited to publish this book until i felt there was a medium where i could take readers right along with me and listen uh as they read and i think these qr codes are the perfect trick and yeah, long recordings. I have, you know, I held back. I had hour-long recordings. It's cuz it's not I'm not interested in identifying the bird to species. Yeah, that's that's all good, but but it's to hear an individual play out his entire his mind for an entire hour. That's to me just the special part and even robins. What are you playing there? I hear something.
2: Yeah, we've got a yellow-breasted chat here because you you kind of were really taken by this bird. You talk about it quite a bit in the book and it's one of those birds that's so hard to categorize or impossible to.
0: It is. Even the experts are having trouble. I think, I think they still place it with the warblers but uh, nobody's quite sure because it just doesn't seem to belong anywhere.
2: Mm. The other thing you talk about, Don, that's really fascinating is... Um, The difference between the dawn songs of birds and the songs that they hear, uh, that we hear during the day. Now, you wouldn't get that sense either from a lot of, uh, you know, maybe uh, CDs that you would get to listen to bird songs.
0: No, there are about 200 species of birds on my website, and I I think there are 29 warblers. And warblers really do something special at dawn uh, compared to later in the day. They they have different songs in different contexts, and and other birds too. Oh, sparrows, chipping sparrows. People think of the dull, boring chipping sparrows singing a little chip 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 song from the top of the tree. But at dawn, these birds, these males, leave their territories. They gather in little lek-like arenas, and they act like prairie chickens and birds of paradise, and. And then uh, well before the sun's up, they head back to their territories and act like the chipping sparrows that everybody knows. So Mm. dawn is a special time when birds are so energetic.
2: Mm. Um, Well, you know, Don, the book is kind of like, it's almost like a combination of a print book and an audio book at the same time, because these recordings are so extensive
0: Yes, and that that chat he's still playing, isn't he?
2: He's still going, yeah.
0: Go and <laughs> you know, there's nothing like chat singing all night long. And I would sidle up to one of these birds in the middle of the night and <laughs> stand in the bush next to him. And what is so beautiful is that they sing in what I call packages. You listen to him singing, you start to memorize and get a feeling for the five or six songs that he's working over, and then suddenly he switches to another package. Mm. And then he plays with those songs for a while. And Robins do this kind of thing, too, and, and, and some Vireos. But chats are, chats are just wonderful. Out of this world.
2: Well, this is just such a wonderful uh, book to listen to as a travelogue, as a way to learn birds, and so many things, and so many nice personal touches in the book as well, and your relationship with your son, and you're meeting all these folks along the way. Pretty amazing, and at the end, Don, there's an epilogue there, Where Are They Now?, Uh, and talks about some of the amazing awards that you have received and the things that you're doing, still watching, listening to birds. And your son, David, is doing some really wonderful stuff. Tell us quickly about that, if you would.
0: Yeah, David, my son, uh, uh, he got hooked on bicycling, and he, shortly after our trip across the country, he packed up all his worldly possessions, put them in storage, hopped on his bike, and bicycled over the next year and a half to the tip of South America. Mm and wrote a nice book on it too, The Bicycle Diaries, my 21,000-mile ride for the climate because he is a climate scientist and trying to help us understand what's what's going on with this world. Mm-hmm. As far as me, I, I left uh, needing a break from my academic life, and I got about halfway across, across the country and discovered that there was no more professor left in me. I was gonna go out and listen to birds Full time, and try to convince people that they would be happy if they listened to birds like I did. And so that's—I just retired from the university, left it behind, and and now I I can uh, I can get up in the middle of the night and go record oven birds and <laughs> warblers and, yeah. and and chase down these wonderful birds. All
2: right, let's hope those oven birds get back back up there, and you can get those recordings. <laughs>
0: well, Tom? I know. I know they perform. It's just uh, <laughs> understanding when and why.
2: All right. Don Cruz, author of The Singing Life of Birds, The Backyard Birding Guide, The Backyard Bird Song Guide. We need to talk to you more about that because I, um, Mike O'Connor wants to know about that book that amazing recording book, but we'll talk about it another time, The Backyard Birdsong Guide, uh, Birdsong of the Seasons, another fabulous book, and the newest, Listening to a Continent Sing, Birdsong by Bicycle from the Atlantic to the Pacific. Don, congratulations on the book. Thanks for being with us. And congratulations to you on 580. (laughs) Thank you, Don. All right, thanks, Ray. Coming up, it's our mystery bird contest in just one minute.
4: Next time you're shopping for wild bird food, look for Audubon Park. It's the finest kind and you can choose from more than a dozen selections including no-waste patio blends and species-specific blends. And the folks at Audubon Park encourage all who feed backyard birds to follow these important rules to help keep birds safe and healthy. Choose seed made in the USA. Fill your feeders with no more than a week's supply of food. Clean your feeders weekly with soap and hot water or a solution of bleach and water. Make your windows visible to birds to prevent crashes. Place feeders away from windows and safe from predators offer water for drinking and bathing and refresh it daily keep cats indoors reduce your lawn mow it less often and skip the fertilizers and pesticides plant native shrubs and trees and keep outdoor lights as dim as possible and use them only when necessary simple rules for healthy birds from the folks at audubon park wild bird food and for a complete list of backyard bird feeding tips visit the discovery center at audubonpark.com that's audubonpark.com
2: Talking Birds is sponsored in part by Chimani, providing free outdoor mobile app travel guides to plan and navigate your journey to more than 400 national parks, monuments, and historic sites. From Acadia to Zion, go to Chimani.com, that's C-H-I-M-A-N-I.com to download your free app. Today. Here in the Mystery Bird Contest, you're eligible if you haven't won within six months, and we are later than usual, so call us as soon as you can to tell us what our bird is or take your guess at it because no correct answer will determine our winner. We have a beautiful double prize this morning. It's kind of a double-double prize because the first prize is the Droll Yankees Double Suet Feeder. So that's perfect for your backyard birds for the favorite suet or fruit. Can put two big, uh, uh, you know, suet um, cakes in there, or lots of fruit. Heavy gauge wire means it uh, holds up for years of use. The other double part is a bonus prize: the 12 ounce bag of our favorite coffee, the coffee we urge all, all who love birds and love nature to buy. Birds and Beans, shade-grown, bird-friendly coffee. So, we're giving away a 12 ounce bag of that. 781 837 4900 is the number to call. That's 781 837 4900. Here's our mystery bird. It's very small. It winters in northern South America and breeds over much of the eastern U.S., a denizen of deciduous forest treetops, which makes it kind of hard to see but certainly worth it. It nests and forages higher in the canopy than most of its cousins. It features two broad white wing bars in a solidly colored head and back, uh, solidly covered, he said. Here's the real important part. Sky blue in the male, blue-green in the female on that head and back, with stripes of that blue or green color down the sides of its white chest. That's our mystery bird. Tell us what it is or take your guess at 781-837-4900. 781-837-4900. And we're going to be talking a little bit about suet with Mike O'Connor in the meantime. It's our live Let's Ask Mike in just one minute. <laughs> I'm Ray Brown, and I'm a coffee lover. And the brand that I drink is Birds and Beans, the only brand that sells only bird-friendly coffee, grown in a way that saves the forest that migratory birds depend on for survival. Birds and Beans carries the certification of the Smithsonian Migratory Bird Center, the most stringent shade-grown certification in the world. Plus, it's USDA organic certified and fair trade certified, so farmers get fair compensation. Of course, it's important to note that Birds and Beans coffee tastes great and it's available in your choice of roasts from American Red Start light roast to deep and dark Scarlet Tanager French roast. Decaf, too. If you care about saving the tropical forests on which so many of our birds depend and if you love great coffee, there's just one choice, Birds and Beans, shade-grown, bird-friendly coffee. It's my choice and I really hope you'll make it yours. Get the whole Birds and Beans story, including where to buy it at birdsandbeans.com. That's birdsandbeans.com. And there's that official Let's Ask Mike Music for our man Mike O'Connor down there at the legendary and famous Birdwatcher's General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod. Good morning, Mike. Hello, Mike. He usually doesn't refuse to speak when we play the music for him, but today is uh, different. Uh, uh, let's try it again.
5: Oh. <laughs> what? Are you there, right?
2: Yeah. All right. That was our fault, not yours. I want to point that out for our listening audience.
5: You could, I totally paid my phone bill. You, right,
2: you were right there. <laughs> so our topic, Mike, is is your suet getting soupy on the bedpost overnight <laughs> or uh, in the Donnie backyard. Lonegan.
5: I think Donnie Lanigan had a second version of it.
2: Did he really? Yeah, yeah well, with, the, with the
5: suet version. Oh, look it up. Okay. Yeah, no kidding. Um, so yeah, right. <laughs> the, the old days, we would take suet off the shelf at the store in the summertime because it would melt and would be drippy on the birds, and that would be a bad thing. So uh-huh. come the end of April, we'd we'd be done with suet for f- 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 for the summer. Yeah. But then the companies decided, well, we're we'll we're losing a little money here, so companies started making suet dough or year round suet, and that's readily available now. Some people uh-huh. still tell me, oh, suet's bad in the summer. But it's not really if you get the year-round. And a lot of the packaging, if you buy the suet, will say year-round. And that has grains in there to stop the melting. You can't Uh use grocery store raw suet or any of the pure suet. You can't use those this time of year. But you can use that. And the birds really appreciate it. You still get the woodpeckers, and you also get uh, bluebirds will come to it, and, and so will Orioles, and even warblers, like pine warblers around here come to it. But yeah. I recommend people even if they use suet this time, you keep it in the shade because the pounding of the sun could even cause this year round suet to get a little drippy, which isn't good for the birds. So, um, yeah, suet's a good thing. It's a, it's a second choice or a third choice or another choice, I meant to say for the birds. But um definitely can use it in the summer. So the old school ways, you can't use suet in the summer. That kind of they kind of gone by, but you buy the suet and it? have that year-round label on it.
2: Year-round suet is the key. All right, thanks for the tips, Mike. And, hey, next week we'll talk about the pluses and minuses of having tent caterpillars up in your trees.
5: <laughs> oh, there's a lot of pluses with that.
2: <laughs> we'll, okay. diso- we'll discover one at least. Thanks, okay. Mike. All right. Yep, bye-bye. Let's get back to the mystery bird contest trying to identify this bird. A small bird which winters in northern South America, breeds over much of the eastern U.S. Two broad white wing bars, a solidly colored head and back, sky blue in the male, blue-green in the female with stripes of that blue or green color down the sides of its white chest. That's our mystery bird. What do you think it is? 781-837-4900 is the number. We have two prizes. The Droll Yankees double suet feeder. You can put that year-round suet right in there or you can put fruit in there. And our bonus prize: a twelve-ounce bag of Birds and Beans shade-grown, bird-friendly coffee. Seven eight one eight three seven four nine hundred is the number. And we have Ben in Scottsdale, Arizona. Good morning, Ben. Good morning, Ray. Um, Great, I. To, yeah. That's not a bird I'm really familiar with. Yeah. But um, as far
0: as I know, I would I would think of it as the um this the. the it's like blue. It's I don't know. It's just blue green
2: warbler. A blue green warbler. Tell us, ask Tim if uh, what he thinks. A uh, blue green warbler, warbler. Tim. Tim is kind of shaking his head there. That does not look like an affirmative reply. Not a. Okay. Not not a blue green warbler. But if you see one of those, let us know. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Ben. How'd you no find worries. us? By the way, did you find us? Uh, how'd you find our show? Oh, right, we. I think we lost Ben. Well, that'll will be forever unknown unless. Ben calls us again. Uh, let's see, where are we going now? To uh, um, We're going to Ted in Lynn, Massachusetts, up toward the North Shore there on the North Shore. Good morning, Ted. Good morning, Ray. How are things in Lynn, Ted? Fine and know? candy. <laughs> what did you say, cotton candy? No, I said fine and oh, dandy. Oh, fine and candy. <laughs> Fine and dandy, <laughs> cotton candy. I think we just invented a little uh, doggerel there. Okay. Well, anyway, uh, Ted, how about our mystery bird? What do you What do you think? I think it's a cerulean warbler. I think you are absolutely right. Nicely done, the cerulean warbler. There's a bird that's. Uh Really in a lot of trouble. That bird is, in, is, a, is a, not on the, I don't think it's on the endangered species list, but certainly uh, a lot of concern about uh, about that bird, another bird that we need to really keep an eye on and do our best to protect. But you are absolutely right, Ben, Cerulean warbler. Uh, this bird has an unusual kind of thing, the female. Maybe if you get to see one. Have you ever seen one, Ted? No, I haven't. The female has an unusual way of leaving the nest after sitting on it for a while. Some people call it bungee jumping. She drops from the side of the nest, keeps her wings folded, and opens her wings to fly only when she's well below the nest. A really unusual pattern. But more on that later. Ted, we're all set, and congratulations. And stand by there. We'll get your address and send you that beautiful droll Yankees feeder and birds and beans coffee. Well, thank you, Ray. Thank you very much, Ted. Next week... On our show, our friend Nick Lund, a.k.a. The Birdist, will be here to talk about his latest birding adventures and general bird-watching advice in his own inimitable style. Nick Lund, next week here on Talkin' Birds. Executive producer is Mark Duffield, associate producer, Debbie Bleacher, our engineer, Tim McKenney. I'm Ray Brown. See you next week.
1: Visiting a national park? Let Chimani guide you. Chimani.com.